Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee and this is the Autosport Podcast. The 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 was nothing short of spectacular, with Joseph Newgarden clinching his first ever Indy 500 victory in a heart-stopping climax. He executed a last lap overtake on Marcus Ericsson to take the checkered flag, but it wasn't without its share of controversy and drama on Sunday afternoon. Three red flags because of various crashes and I had a pretty frightening incident with Felix Rosenquist and Carl Kirkwood. We'll discuss all those incidents, the winners, the losers, the contentious finish that has everyone talking today. We'll delve into Ericsson's complaints about how the race ended. Does Formula One have any influence on IndyCar in terms of the show they put on? And any safety concerns I've seen floating around on the internet uh, with super speedway racing just so quick these days. I'm joined on the podcast today uh, by two experts, our global editor-in-chief at motorsport.com, Charles Bradley, and good friend of the podcast, motorsport writer, Mandy Curry. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Charles, what with Monaco Grand Prix and Indianapolis 500, it kind of kept running one of the world's biggest motorsport websites. It kind of kept you busy. It certainly did. It's maybe a good thing that the Coke 600 in uh, Charlotte got rained off because it's just uh, it's happening as we're recording this right now. Well, I, I watched the first about 30 minutes of filler from that because it's about 11 p.m. UK time and uh, and bless they were doing they were doing the best job they could on Fox but it was clear it was not going to happen so about half a little well, maybe midnight I just turned it off and like it's fine so <laughs> I don't need to watch more racing uh, to, if only Le Mans had been scheduled early for the same weekend that's what you would have really wanted you know it was almost 24 hours wasn't it in all probably <laughs> it really was and Mandy you join us from Indianapolis so close to the track that you were saying before we hit record you can even hear all the action from the tannoy and things like that it's gotta be amazing to be there in person oh it's so amazing there's just nothing like the people the vibe everything people the hospitality just people will give you open their arms and give you endless drinks and endless food (laughs) (laughs) sounds sounds like heaven to me it is See you this time next year. So, Charles, fill us in on why some people 
have found it a controversial end to the Indy 500. Yeah, it was quite a strange one, wasn't it? At the time, obviously, Marcus Ericsson complained a little bit about the way that the race uh, finished. And the fact was the race finished with a checkered flag, an actual race to the finish Mm. line. And I think what it did, it tripped a few people into their uh, Abu Dhabi 2021 conspiracy (laughs) theory world. And, And they compared it directly to that, which I think is just nonsense basically i mean unless you believe in jfk the moon landings being staged and 9-11 was all a fix i mean it's just it's just ridiculous really um of course roger penske team owner happens to own indianapolis mode speedway he owns actually the series as well but you know when he when he took all those uh, responsibilities on the stewardship of the facility he jettisoned all his uh, immediate connection with his race team. So he used to call strategy for one of the drivers, many of his drivers, you know, famously Helio Castroneves. And um, and he, he let all that go. Uh, I even saw somebody saying, yeah, but he was he was wearing a Team Penske headset on the on the Pagoda. It's like, yeah, he was just <laughs> listening to Team Radio. Any any fan can take a scanner and listen to the, the radio of their choice. Obviously, he was listening to Joseph Newgarden's radio. Doesn't mean he's on the phone to race control saying, yes, one more lap, make sure my driver can win. That's just, there's no way on earth that happened. You know, Roger, he's a, he's a multi-billionaire, but he's, he's in motorsport for all the right reasons. He's been coming to the Indy 500 since 1951. You know, this is the second, 72nd time he'd been at the track, basically. And obviously he wants to win. He's, he set his team a target of, you know, basically them winning 20 Borg Warner trophies before he, uh, you know, he likes to retire, pops his clogs, whichever comes first, I guess. Um, and he's <laughs> and he's up to 19, which is a staggering feat. Uh, but it's done through the whole ethos of sportsmanship. He doesn't want to buy victory. If he wanted him to buy victory, he'd buy every team in the pit lane, wouldn't he? And ensure he yeah. won every single year. So he wants to win it fair and square. And anybody who suggests otherwise, uh, I think they just uh, need to give their heads a wobble. Yeah, and it was just because that that last red flag came so late. Some would say maybe a lap too late. They could have red flagged it immediately and given the cars uh, more than just that flying lap they had uh, at the end. But yeah, three three red flags occurred during the race because of various crashes. Uh, Mandy, what do you think the impact of those interruptions on the race uh, did to things like the momentum of what we were watching and even driver strategies as well, because it was a little bit stop-start at times. When it comes to the biggest oval of the year, um, it's just, it's so hard to predict. Just like this, you don't know what's going to happen and anything, any red flag, any yellow, whatever, could ruin all your progress and then your strategy is completely shot when this happens, the red flag, Mm. so... Well, should we go through those red flags kind of in order then? And uh, the let's, let's, well, yeah, first of all, let's go that that frightening crash between Rosenquist and uh, Kyle Kirkwood. How did, Mandy, how did you read that one? We're going so fast and at the, just the touch of, of something and then the car is flipped over and then that wheels off. And it, by the way, that did hit a car in the parking lot. Yeah, it's so I saw some car. pictures subsequently. The, the it was that was the frightening bit was where you see you know because it is oval racing and it does feel like we're, the safety's on a knife edge sometimes. And when right. that wheel that wheel flew off and there was just that one camera shot and they cut away from that camera shot and the last that we saw was just this wheel heading into the crowd. No, nobody was hurt. It did nope. hit a car, right? And and it was fine. But it could it, it could have been a lot worse. But also it's oval racing and the speeds are so high. It's very different when you are 
and then an F1 race and you bump the tire and then someone spins off in the gravel, right? This mm. is this is something completely different. You're being hit at high speeds on an oval to where the car will flip over. The car will get graded against the fence with just a slight hit. And yeah. um, that's the allure, the allure quotation marks, but that's what makes it so dangerous. That's also what makes it so exciting. And um, yeah, but but it's scary. No, everybody in the media center, we we all stopped. We all like we're like because it's scary. Well, you, yeah, when you see a car upside down, Charles, how did you read that one? I, I watched they they published the onboard uh, afterwards as well. And as he's as he's going along the safer barrier upside down, he opens his visor, and I'm like, keep that closed for a start. <laughs> he's like, what's going on? <laughs> I'm, I'm upside down. What's happening here? Um, how, <laughs> how did you read? Uh, how did you read that one? Well, fortunately, he's got an aero screen, so he had a little bit of protection. Uh, it's, <laughs> ahead of the visor if you see what i mean yeah, I but yeah when, yeah when i saw the crash the first i didn't even see the card flipped i was watching the wheel see where it went and then to to see the the crowd physically ducking because it was mm. that close to to going into the grandstand which would have had some horrific consequences and yeah it hit some poor lady's uh white chevy cruise and uh, she had to get it towed home apparently the compensation from the racetrack will probably be okay. I think the insurance will cover it. Act of God, just come under that, you know, lap of the gods <laughs> yeah, maybe. or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it fell from the it fell from the heavens. <laughs> oh it's a hell of a call to make it to your insurance company. It's like, I'd like to make a claim, please. What happened? Uh, an IndyCar wheel hit my car <laughs> yeah. and stoved the front end in. <laughs> yeah, I need to check the fine print on my uh, insurance. Uh, but yeah, go, go into the crash itself. I mean, it was it was very innocuous yeah. at the beginning, wasn't it, where Joseph yeah, had just... Yeah. Uh, Gone around the outside of Felix, he got in the the wrong part of the uh, the aero wake, but you know the aero wash a bit like it was very sort of Top Gun moment, wasn't it? Where you get in the jet washer, the uh, F eighteen in front of you, and then suddenly you lose all control for a second. And it just very unfortunate the way he broke the rear tow link first, so it did that sort of mm. um, forklift truck maneuver where it suddenly spun around and then it broke the steering oh, arm. So he suddenly had no yeah no control on the right side of his car. So now he's just looking for a safe haven to have his have the rest of his accident and then as soon as it hit the apron the car bottomed out and spat him back onto the race surface so you know spun him back onto the track Mm. then it's yeah again lap of the gods whether you're gonna get a car or not coming along um when I was in Long Beach a couple of weeks ago talking to Roman Grosjean about a crash he had at Texas because he likes crashing at turn two at every race <laughs> overly goes to. And, uh, yeah, he's describing it in perfect detail about what's happened, how it's caused, how he hit the fence, stuff mm. like that. And then we got, he got to the point of where he was talking about going back across the track and he just stopped talking and just pulled a face. <laughs> and, oh. and, and they know that that's that's the really sketchy part of, of of a wreck like that and we saw yeah. the consequence of what happens you know carl i'm sure thought he'd missed it you know he, he had brucci oh. right in front of him he was trying to check up he you know the corner of his eye knew the car felix was coming up but he thought yeah I've, I've, I've made this i've made this and then suddenly you know he's on he's on his lid and uh turning turtle and on the restart, a, a move by Pato Award. Um, it just looks to me like he went to the inside, maybe hit the dirt a little bit, and then just lost control. But again, uh, you know, an accident all on his own. But just that instant spin, and then again and again and again and again, and he hits the barrier, and it's like, my goodness me, because the circuit's so big and this, your mind plays a trick that you don't think the cars are going as fast as they are. When they wreck like that, you think, oh, my goodness me, that was... 
uh, lucky that he didn't do any more than just mount the barrier uh, that he did. Absolutely. It's a late move and it's one he'll want to take back. Uh, I think there was echoes of what happened on the last lap here last year when he had a run on Ericsson on the outside of turn one, didn't decided not to take it and then he effectively lost him the race mm. because the toe wasn't as strong last year. This time, I don't know why he was going for it quite that early. I thought it was a couple of laps too early to you know, pust, mm. pull, pull a huge a huge bomb move like that because it needed the other driver to uh, be in full accordance with what was coming next. And Marcus did what a lot of drivers would do. He just pulled down, took his normal line, squeezed Pato. Pato clipped the grass, clipped Marcus, who did a fantastic stave to, you know, to keep himself mm. in the race. But then, you, as you say, um, Pato spun wildly. When, when you've got that head-on shot into turn three, the cars look really slow, don't they? It's a real optical <laughs> optical illusion. And it's weird. You, if you if you stand on the inside of the corners, you're quite a long way away from the cars, and they look slow in, in real life, yeah. sort of metronomic, sort of zooming past. Whereas if you stand on the mm. outside the corner, it's mind-blowing <laughs> just how quickly they are going. Suddenly it's like, yes, they are doing 220 miles an hour because it was here and now it's yeah. gone yeah. kind of thing. And, oh. Yeah, and then when you hit the wall, that's when the uh, you know the explosion yeah. happens. You ride the fence and you get run into by Augustin Canapino. Just I don't know what was going. Why? On what? <laughs> I, I'm I didn't follow up on that one. What happened with that? It just looked like he had no control or just decided not to break. Or I need I need to follow up on that. Like why did he run yeah, into the back of it? I, I didn't get to the bottom of that. I, it's almost like I watched one replay and it looked like he was looking down a little bit in the cockpit. I just don't think he saw Pato because it was a black car. And he, remember he'd been in yeah. his, his accident. He probably didn't know yes. there'd been another one in front of him so he probably just didn't didn't see him till he sort of <laughs> suddenly ran into the back of him so uh, it was and it bizarre. was quite a, a big impact as well yeah. um and then uh and then mandy on the uh, next restart there was just chaos in the mid pack wasn't there i did try and write down who was involved if i missed someone so it was uh lundgaard carpenter pedersen peterson uh graham rahal who'd had a stinker anyway because he not stalled but just i think it was a battery issue on the yep. on the grid uh, to, uh, Rahal, uh, like, uh, yeah and uh, when he like, was trying to get on the grid yeah i think it was battery problems anyway so he's like two left down and marco andretti so that was just i don't know mandy how you read that that to me it's like over exuberance another restart everyone was just jockeying for position and then it was just all hell broke loose. I mean, they were like four wide, right? Yeah. At the press conference, I asked um, I asked TK and Santino about the um, the driving. Is it too aggressive? And um, what were their thoughts on that? And of course, they were like, "Well, it's Indy. It's the Indy Five Hundred. It's the, it's a tight field. You have to go all in, and you you have to leave it. Or yeah, you have to leave it out there. So." especially on a restart. That's what TK said. You're going to go for it. And that that's what happened. That's exactly mm. what you happened. You have all drivers going for it, all or nothing. And and then you go four wide and that's what happens. You have drivers just taking no risks. And, and by the way, you can when you're back there, right? Also double points, no more double points. So <laughs> if you mess up, it's not going to hit you double, right? So mm. why not go for it? That's the gamble that drivers take. It makes them aggressive, but that's also coming from two drivers who did fairly well. Like Santino said, you know, I made a three-wide pass into into one twice, like, right? And he was proud of that. And that's something mm. that that's an aggressive move. But he's also got P2. Um, but then when you go and you talk to drivers who who it, it did not work out for, 
Marcus Erickson is is has a different tune. But Marcus made this kind of did a similar move last year with the Dragon Weaven. But it, it is it is what it is. It's a restart. It doesn't matter cold tires or whatever. It's a restart. I don't think it matters. I, it's 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 a restart, and people are going to go all for it. And that's what that's what happened. Well, there's no tire warmers anyway. No, okay. So I know that a lot of racing in the US is perhaps in warmer climates than over here in Europe, and tire warmers have been a big issue around Le Mans. They're staying this year, at least for the the 24 hours race. And uh, it's a big issue in Formula One as well. But uh, maybe we'll talk about tire warmers a little bit later because it's, it's a strange, I think a strange hill to die on for the, the regulators. I, I think there's other ways you can you can go about greening up motor racing rather than not warming up some rubber. But there we go. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, Joseph Newgarden's victory. Charles, his first Indy 500 victory and a, and a last lap overtake on Marcus Ericsson uh, to do it. Uh, just talk a little bit about New Garden's uh, journey to get his first Indianapolis win and uh, maybe about even a better strategy that you saw him uh, play out during the race as well. Yeah, I thought he was very impressive right from the get-go, starting that far back, um, worked his way through, was very patient, uh, didn't really pull any outrageous moves that would have risked any you know damage to his car and then he sort of got himself into the whole lead conversation uh and that that battle at the front um mm. one thing i thought was quite quite an interesting stat it's only the third time in history the indy 500 has been decided with a last lap pass you know the guy's two-time champion 12th attempt at the indy 500 so you know a lot of people were asking him the question why haven't you won this race before? You were a money new object team in Penske. Success mm. is expected. Um, you know he'd finished third with a with Ed Carpenter Racing, one of the smaller teams, but with a good reputation here. His best with Penske before today was was fourth in 2019. T- Tim Sindrick, who's the team president at uh, Penske, actually apologised to uh, Roger and Joseph that it had been so long since they'd since they'd won the race or given him the chance of the race but uh you know afterwards joseph just said it was you know indescribable you know just his his journey through the sport you know starting when he was just 13 years old in karting which you know for for a european person that's actually quite late isn't it really (laughs) but uh uh, first tennessee driver to to win the indy 500 as well and uh yeah it was um a great, great moment in his career, and I think it's probably one of those one of those moments that really puts a double underline under your name as a as a real, true IndyCar champion. He talked a lot about his mentality, the way he approached it was very carefree. He didn't, he said he normally studies a lot for uh, for a race, you know, and he didn't. He goes, I didn't even study this time. I just went in relaxed and carefree. I also asked him, is it different? Because he's a two-time champion, you know, uh, winning a championship versus the 500. Does it feel different? And you know what? I think it was pretty telling that he said no, that it just feels like a weight has been lifted. And I Mm. think that just is a testament to kind of what Charles was saying about at Penske, you're expected to win. And he has been (laughs) under so much pressure to win the 500. And I think he's just finally like feels free. I think it is, you know, it's been, um, he did approach it very differently and it's almost like he was just like, oh, I can breathe now. And to bring it home for Chevy, by the way, for Chevy as well, you know, not just Penske, but Chevy 
to have like a Chevy um, driver because the Hondas were have been dominating that and Renus had taken out Pelot. We'll never know, right? But it, mm. <laughs> in that in that pit, now you know they're they're back, and you know. Um, even Rossi was saying that he feels like it's a Chevy, you know, like it was a Chevy versus kind of CGR coming into the 500. So um, for, between these engine manufacturers, but yeah, I just think, um, I just think overall for Joseph, he was very, very pleased. You know, he actually, someone asked him a question about his wife and he actually teared up. You could just tell the, just the amount of strain and stress it has been for him to win this race and to finally win it. Um, he just said it's been hard on his wife as well, obviously, you know, his biggest supporter. And he just, he teared up and he was like, I don't even know why I'm crying, but he, he did. He cried. He did. And it was, and you could, like I said, it's just finally, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, that sense um, of relief, just get it, let's just get it done. And then, that's it. It's it's it's, uh, it's a huge a huge moment in his life. But for every moment of heaven, there's moments of hell. Marcus Ericsson's complaints about the way that the race ended, why it didn't end under a yellow. We've seen races end under a yellow with many more laps to go than we had on Sunday afternoon. Didn't uh, Takuma Sato win a couple of years? When was that when he won? Uh, there was like seven or eight, quite a few laps to go. Charles, what do you think about uh, Ericsson's thoughts about how the race finished i think he had two points i think the two points he made was that he was he felt it was unfair and i think when you look at that word it's unfair because it was to him right yeah so if those last laps ran under yellow he'd won the race he's a back-to-back indy 500 winner great but you know if you flip the script Joseph would have said the same. Well, it wasn't fair. He didn't try and restart the race. He didn't follow your rule set that say we will always try and finish on the green to try and get to a checkered flag. So that's that's the the, the point for me. It's, it's only unfair to the person who feels wronged by it, you know. And uh, you've got people asking a bit like mentioned earlier about Abu Dhabi twenty twenty one. This time you've got people saying, well, why didn't IndyCar follow its rule to finish under green? Well, it did. Yes, <laughs> so you, it you, did. you can't win, Martin. You can't please everyone <laughs> because some people just seem very intent on being not happy. Uh, you know, I know. It's, so, yes, it's unfair, but it's unfair to Marcus and it's it would have been unfair to Joseph if they hadn't tried to restart the race. And all they did was follow their own rules, which says we will try and restart the race as long as it's safe to do so. And they felt it was safe to do so. And this brings me to my other word that Marcus used, which was, uh, it was dangerous. So, mm. and it would have been if when they charged at turn one and the green flag waved, if they'd all charged into the turn one and <laughs> each car had flown into the barrier because they were on all tires that weren't warm enough, then he would have had a point, but they didn't. So he's not got that either. So uh, I, th- I think as much as I like Marcus, he's a really good guy, and he's obviously talking in the heat at the moment there. I think that both of his points sort of fall a little bit hollow for me, really, because I felt worried when it happened. I, I certainly had safety concerns. I didn't think that one outlap was enough. We, we see this all the time when people come into the pits and put new tyres on, but they're new tyres. They're fresh tyres. They've got a ton of grip. You can get to, by the time you got to turn one, they're absolutely good to go. These, these cars had had a couple of uh, heat cycles put through them because of the stop-start nature of that final sort of 15 laps. So, uh, yes, it sort of did feel like it could have been a risky thing for them to do. But 
uh, I think the, their gamble paid off. We got a race that finished with a checkered flag rather than a yellow one. And you had 350,000 people, you know, happy that they'd seen the race that they'd pay good money for. Uh, you know, he'd only just taken the lead anyway from New Garden before the yellows came out. So it, it was just it was just timing uh, within a few minutes of being unfair. And then so unfair, no, unsafe. There's a, a great Martin Brundle cliche, which I've not heard him wheel out in a, in, a, in a long time, actually, but he's used it on many occasions. I really like it. And it's that uh, the, the throttle pedal goes in both ways. You don't just have to go flat chat. As a job, as a driver, you have to drive within what that vehicle can do. And if the tyres are old and cold, you have to drive according to what the vehicle can do. So, um, I, you know, I guess so, yeah, you can't go absolutely uh, all out in that situation. Uh, Mandy, what do you think about the, the role of race officials? in making these kind of decisions. Did they did they get it right this weekend? I think Charles is now American now because with his <laughs> Hang on, this is his, news. With his, Hang on a <laughs> with his, He's been yeah, there with, long enough. With his take on this, um um we've had Indy five hundreds, the greatest race in the world and on yellows, right? So I had this platform, this major platform of this is how it is, this is how it is, this is what IndyCar does. And then IndyCar does this ends the race this way, this time. I'm conflicted like I was conflicted in Abu Dhabi because you don't want the big, like I was talking to Callum earlier today and I asked him about this and Callum was said, well, you don't want, nobody wants to end this race on a yellow. Nobody does. Or, mm. you know, everybody wants to end it in an exciting way because it's entertaining and it's the biggest race. And I understand that. So I struggle because I think it, it could have, but, 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 but like in the past, they did it with Takuma and Dixon and Takuma. That's how Takuma won his. And Dixon was like, yep, you know, it happened this way. It ended this way in the yellow talking about like the tinfoil on your head and everything. I have a, <laughs> I have a, I have a, I have a theory. I think vice was there hundred days to indie docuseries. So I wonder- say it's, it's a scripted reality show. I'm wondering. <laughs> okay, that's a new one. This is now this is like this is now WWE wrestling that we all have to believe <laughs> that the wrestling is real, but it's all scripted. Um, oh, no, I don't buy it. I don't I'm buy it. Joking? <laughs> no, I know you are. I know you are. Um, but but so, fairness, in all yeah. yeah, in all fairness, going. I know it's joking, but just to, just to bring it back home you want a chance. And that's what this gave the drivers a chance. It gave them a chance. Unfortunately, Marcus lost out, but this is tough racing. This is the Indy 500 and the Indy, anything can happen and anything yeah. can happen. And anything just did happen. So this is where sport is entertainment. And yes. some people forget that this. this isn't the Olympics. This isn't the most pure no. example of people coming together to do sport. No. Is It's like when people say sport and politics don't mix. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You can't, pull those two things apart and it's right. sport and entertainment are intertwined because sport is entertainment purists i i get would say do the right thing so if it means finishing under a yellow everyone poodles around if that's the right thing then do the right thing right. don't pander to the show but again then there is that assumption that hang on that we are almost pandering to a show and as charles said well it, it's not the, no rules are broken it's very clear they'll do everything they can to finish under a green. And it's exactly what they did. They yes. did what the stated aims that everyone in the sport has agreed mm-hmm. to do. Right. So no rules, not only were no rules broken, they were completely followed. And yet people are still outraged how it ended. Um, I was going to bring this up a little, a little bit later, but let's talk about it now. Both of you guys also cover Formula One 
in in different ways. And so I want to talk about whether IndyCar is influenced by by Formula One. It's had the Netflix effect. F1 has had an incredible few few years, actually, with the, ba- the battle between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, but also the, just the general rise of the popularity of, of that sport with a younger audience, with an American audience as well. Um, and whether you feel that IndyCar, because I don't know enough about IndyCar, whether it, it feels an influence from Formula One and whether it feels that it almost has to then go to toe-to-toe with F1. Clearly, you can't deny some kind of influence because it has the 100 days running, right, Um, docu-series. So it looked at at F1, saw drivers survive and said, hey, we need that for our series, right? So so there's some kind of influence there in that sense. Alex Pelot's um, strategists say, why can't we get the numbers? Um, you're in media. Why can't we get that popularity that F1 has? What do mm. we need to do? And I think there's a lot of that in terms of numbers, in terms of viewerships, in terms of people watching IndyCar. They are looking to F1 as like, how can we get that? If that makes sense. Mm. Um, but I don't think. I don't think for a second that F1 affects the racing on track. There's no, that, that is no, that, that does not affect the racing on track in IndyCar. I don't, I don't, I don't. And and this incident that happened is not a reflection of that. It's a reflection of, you know, what you, what what we all just said, we're not going to rehash it. Um, But I just think when it comes down to how to market, to make IndyCar more marketable, and things like that, I think that there is the F1 influence. And I think that's that's where it stays. And I think that's 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 where it is. But but only in that way. In the let's say the uh, early nineteen nineties, I think IndyCar could really claim to be American Formula One. Certainly when Nigel Mansell came over, raced up against mm-hmm. the the Andretti's, you know, some fantastic drivers, little Al, those guys who were around at the time. The racing was unbelievable. The racing was better than Formula One, in my opinion, at the time. They had different chassis. Obviously, they still had an engine, engine war then. And it just really did feel like IndyCar could rival Formula One. And then IndyCar tore itself apart. It split itself in two. You had the Indy series. You had the kart series. They were at war for donkey's years between them. And finally, we've, we've come back to a place where it's all diverged again and we've got one series again, but it just feels like it's American Formula 2 now. It's a spec series. We don't have different chassis. We still have an engine wall, which I think probably elevates it slightly, but it just doesn't have that luster. And I think it needs to work a lot harder to get to where Alex Pelot's strategists want it to be you know it yeah. needs it needs to get it needs to get better i think it's in the right hands i think it it you know there's the uh, there's the desire to get to get it there um but i think it's got a lot of work to do to catch up to where it was and you know i think what what they threw away was was, was a lot basically and they've got a, a heck of a job to get it on but then again you look at an event like the indy 500 and it is so much so far elevated above any other race in that series probably apart from long beach grand prix um that you can see why they were pushing straight after the race. Oh, we're racing downtown Detroit next week. You know, the effort is being put in. It's going to take them a long time to get back to where they were. 
but um mm. but I, I just do feel it is that sort of american formula two level and they they need it to get back to that american formula one where it's where mm. you can compare the two and i'm sure people would disagree with me on that but that's uh, <laughs> that's how i feel we've got some great storylines you know we touched on it earlier about the battle between chevy and honda you know two fantastic manufacturers really going head to head they pull millions of dollars every year finding these tiny little advantages over one another and uh, still managing to get to almost the same place you know it was fantastic to see a Chevy and a Honda duking it out over that final lap and uh, this year it was Chevy last year last couple of years it's been Honda uh, so there's there's stuff to build on there but I still think it's a little quite a way short of Formula One and uh, mm-hmm. getting to those those kind of levels. And then the inevitable comparison, we've mentioned it a couple of times already on the podcast at Abu Dhabi with almost an engineered ending. I do see some comparison and I know where it came from and I, I know why people would make that, but I, did, I don't think that was particularly valid uh, at all. And, and, you know, and, the, and half the problem with Abu Dhabi, uh, half the problem was Red Bull's reaction mm. to that, which was they never, at no point... And it's partly because the t- the kind of team they are, and the kind of boss Christian Horner is, is they never came out and uh, and and said, "Well, we didn't deserve it, but we'll take it." And that's half the controversy around Abu Dhabi. Just why there were two sets of fans that were so angry. If you think about uh, Le Mans with the Toyota Number Five car when it was twenty sixteen. And that last lap, when it broke down on the last lap, a surefire win, the sister car garage were going mad, uh, like just like celebrating. And you saw the team bosses just saying, calm down, stop it. And you think, well, it's a natural reaction when you're in competition. But they really had to stop those celebrations in the, in the, in the garage to be like, look, just be respectful. I think if Red Bull had just done that and at, at some point come out and been like, hey, we'll, like, we'll take that, go and have a fight with Michael Massey. But not necessarily didn't win it in the best way, but we won it. And they never said that. So I think half of the problem is is to do with the way it was handled and then Mercedes bringing lawyers to the final race and all sorts. So, But I didn't like those two comparisons being drawn because I, I, didn't, I, didn't I didn't have any problems with the way that the race ended. I thought it was, thought it was an interesting you know, final lap. That was good. Let's talk a little bit about just the performance of these cars, just the super speedway racing these days. Mandy, what do you think about some of the challenges that we're you know that are being faced by the teams the engineers the circuits because these cars are just now so so brutally fast we'll get onto the onto defensive driving in a minute but we'll sort of kick off with with safety i didn't feel that safety was compromised obviously that wheel flying off wasn't wasn't good and i think we dodged well literally people dodged that one um but do you think there's any any anything that needs to be done about the way that it's just the the increasing performance of these cars is is being managed i think the safety team and everybody the safety the whole all of it has come such a long way um in indycar and i think they've done such a phenomenal job and uh, including the safety team, because, you know, the cool thing about the safety team is you, I don't know if listeners know this, but they travel, it's one team. So that's a consistent team that travels around and does this. And that's important because, you know, um, when you have random marshals who don't know where to go and don't know how to give you a, a fire extinguisher to put out near Ferrari, like stuff like that. Um, it, it, it's these people devote a lot of time and effort into safety. So I just want to say that IndyCar, that is one good thing about IndyCar. It is the thing about 
ovals. Ovals are unpredictable. They, they've come such a long way. We have the arrow, you know, we have the arrow screen, we have things like that, and we have safety measures like that. But going at high speeds like that, you literally anything could still happen. And that is the danger of an oval. This is why you have European, a lot of international or European drivers who won't do the ovals for this reason, because they are terrified of ovals. You know, Grosjean was terrified of them. Now he's doing them. But, um, (laughs) you know, and he's still crashing out. So, yeah. What more can you do? You know, the tires, you you don't hear people complaining about the tire deck. And um, in terms of um, like they do with the Pirellis, um, because they have to be on such a high level. Um, when you do this on on an oval, I mean, that's everything. So there's that that they take into account. There's also, um, I mean, team strategists, I mean, it, it, if anything, I don't know, if anything, you have the aggressive driving, uh, but that's well, the... That, that stands out to me. As someone, I cover Formula One week in, week out for this podcast, and then I dip into IndyCar for big events. And so, yeah, the Formula One rule of you're allowed to make one move across the track. The the driving standards is something that I want to bring up on this podcast because I feel like I could live without the weaving. It's it's not the weaving. It's just like how much they go across the white line and pit entry and also I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, But that's part of the entertainment. But as, as a fan coming into it, I could kind of live without it. I know why it's there. I mean, we're not NASCAR. IndyCar is not NASCAR. Let's let's right. be real there. Um, <laughs> I know, no, but joking aside, that but that's the nature of the just oval racing. That is, I, I just I know broken record here, but that is the oval. That is what the oval is, and you either are going to go for it, and you're going to like it, and you're going to be aggressive. Um, yeah, I mean Santino once again boasted about how we went on the grass, and he was like, I went on the grass like twice. Pato went on the grass and guess what? He ended up in the wall. It's a little bit more complicated than just saying, oh, well, well, what should we do? Do we need to make new rules? Do we need to make change the cars? What are, what are safety devices? We, we've done all of that, right? We've done all of that. And the tires are good and this is good. But, but what more can you do when it is something so unique like the oval and you have drivers who are going all out like that, you know? I'm okay with it, actually. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the drivers sign up for it. If they do what they feel is right, um, you know, would you have had this in the days of Mario Andretti, AJ Foyt, Parnelli Jones? Probably not. But they they knew they were taking a lot more risks. Um, they knew what happened if it went wrong. They'd still do what was necessary to win, but they just do their craft a different way. And I think these days. Um, the people still do what it takes. And at the moment, the way that the rules are set up, the way you keep your position in on the last lap of the Indy 500 is to weave like hell on the straight into the car, almost coming into the pits. Um, it looks incredibly dramatic when you look at the head on shot, when you're watching from a different perspective, the cars aren't overlapping at these times when they're weaving from side to side. So as soon as someone gets alongside, they stop, they going astray the spotters telling them all the time so it's not quite as as crazy as as it probably looks on the tv but we still have to remember that open wheel super speedway oval racing is the most dangerous form of elite motorsport on four wheels that there is i mean rallying is the only thing that comes close because 
you don't know what you're going to hit in IndyCar. You do know what you're going to hit most of the time. Uh, and without overly dramatizing it, you know, they can only contain the consequences. They can't really manage the consequences of when it goes wrong, as we saw with Carl Kirk's, Kirkwood's wheel. You can't build. You almost can't build a fence high enough to deal with that that wheel flying that high. You just don't know how far far it could go. If that wheel went off at a different angle, it would probably fly even higher or further. Or you know, mm. so there's only measures you can do to contain stuff rather than manage it. And this, you know, Mandy made a great point about the IndyCast AMR safety team. They're a fantastic group of people. They do an amazing job. They've absolutely saved lives, as have safer barriers, as have hands devices. You know, they've all done fantastic, been great innovations that have saved, literally saved lives. But as we saw with Stefan Wilson's shunt, you know, you can still get hurt driving these cars very, very easily. Just And that was just a misunderstanding. And, you know, Mandy, you spoke to Robbie Wickens at Laguna Seca. You can see for yourself what the consequences of getting it wrong on a high-speed oval are. So it's still the most dangerous form of four-wheel motorsport I think there is on the planet. Before we sign off, last word. I'll give both of you a last word on any kind of winners and, uh, and losers that we haven't mentioned so far. We haven't really talked about Andretti. We haven't talked too much about uh, McLaren. Um, a few, a uh, few, uh, uh, yeah, a few long faces there. Zach Brown was in the US rather than in in Monaco. He's seen enough uh, fancy yachts uh, bobbing up and down in his, his lifetime. So yeah, heartbreak. Or McLaren struggling to score a point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there weren't any broken bits of uh, carbon fiber heading back from Monaco, uh, but uh, there was plenty of bits to repair from the Arrow McLarens. Uh, yeah, Charles, finish off with you. Any sort of uh, highlights and lowlights that we haven't mentioned so far that stood out to you? Oh, plenty, really. I mean, yeah. Arrow McLaren's a great place to start. Hugely impressive performance. They had four cars that were fast across the two weeks. They had three cars totally in the mix for victory. Pato... Felix, Alex, Alex just seems Alex Rossi just seems to be a little bit off it, but the other two guys were so unlucky. The drive through stood out for me, Alex Pelot. I mean, my word, that pole position. I, I was going to say lap because obviously it's over four laps, but it was really his first lap that got him the pole. Was just utterly sensational, and he was driving flawlessly this weekend yet again and yet again. He got hosed in the pit lane for no reason of his own basically you know last time he had mm. to take emergency service last year he came back from last to ninth this year he came from virtually last to fourth you know fantastic yeah. drive just got taken out by Renus vk in in the pit lane but yeah so many great performances out there and then a few you know a few misses as well you know will power he was the best place Penske car on the grid. He was the best place car for much of the race until Joseph overtook him. And then he had a, I think he had a weight jacker failed. He had a terrible restart at one point. Then he ended up hitting the wall and needed suspension repairs. So yeah, again, it just goes to show the, the fine margins of the Indy 500. You, you've got these fantastic races. Everyone says it's the best field ever and it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And, and this is why I do feel very positive about the IndyCar series, that it, it can keep making strides forwards. And when it puts on such a great show, and uh, I thought Danica Patrick made an amazing point in the in the broadcast when she said that when she went to uh, Matigi to, w- to win the race uh, over in Japan, when they stamped her passport, it didn't say 
racing driver, didn't say sportsman, it said entertainer. And I think the Indy 500 <laughs> really, really just proves that, that they really are, you know, the sports entertainers. There's so much quality on the grid, whether it's multiple winners of that race like Castro Neves and, and Sato and Ericsson. Again, people might know that from, from the different series they've raced in, but just it just feels like it's a very, very high bar of drivers uh, at the moment and only getting better. Uh, Mandy, yep. Last word with you. Any highlights and lowlights that we haven't had time for? We could, we could do this for a couple of hours, this podcast, but uh, we, we had to cover some stuff off. Uh, so uh, I know, who, do you want, I, who do you want to mention? Well, okay. I'll try to mention the ones Charles did real quick because they know. Uh, Santino, P2. We did, I mean, that was that was a winner. The curse of the Ray Hall oh, team. It's terrible. The curse. Yeah. It was terrible. Um, curse. It was almost like no, you Graham, and then Graham getting cursed again, and the Chevy. Mm. It's like this. Yeah, that was that was terrible. And don't get me started on Catherine. What, um, Catherine? I mean, just tell, I'd fill our listeners in on uh, some lowlights um, and your highlights of uh, of what happened there. Bump day was crazy. Watching our teammates, you know, getting fighting it out for bump day. The Stefan Wilson thing the stuff thing uh having that happen and then having uh car issues again where she has to retire early and not only that but doing that just to make a comeback where this opportunity truly meant everything to her and was excited to do it and it just wasn't what she i mean everything everything was mm. just insane for her um the whole process of month of may and um is ready to Yes, go have tequila. And when I first, when I <laughs> talked to her, she was definitely like, this is bonkers. This is bonkers. Like this whole, all of this has been absolutely bonkers. And it has been for her and I feel for her. So, and all she wants to do is just go on with her, her life and put this, you know, mm. it's like, um, yeah. So that was probably the lowest light too. I think that we skipped, but um, mm. um, that's it. That Ray Hall team just didn't, yeah. That was the lowest, I think. I, I don't know. Do we get any lower than a whole team? Just yeah, just not being there, not being on the pace at there. all. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. And then going through a bump day where uh, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, one driver bumped another from the same team, and you exactly, you know, just just going back to Catherine, she was the highlight of that team. The way she outqualified all she her was. teammates who were all regulars, she hadn't done the Indy five hundred for ten years, ten years, ten, wow. ten years, absolutely and she amazing. Was, and yeah, she did tell me how she goes, it's brutal. It was absolutely mm. brutal watching that, watching two teammates. And then not only that, but coming in as like, you know, the new, the new person, because, you know, she's not the regular person on the team, regular teammate. And then to have to watch that, it's like, it's, it's brutal. And then let's, let's just make it even more dramatic. And then here's this incident. And then yes. Well, there we go. We better there call you go. It a day there. there we go. We better call it a day there. Guys, thank you so much for joining us uh, to discuss uh, what was a, a brilliant Sunday in motorsport. We really enjoyed uh, watching that one. You can read all of our continued coverage online right now at motorsport.com and autosport.com. Why the Indy 500 fix finish, as some people have said, is well wide of the mark. I think Charles made his very eloquent point earlier on in the podcast, how uh, Newgarden uh, managed to be a thorn in the side of Ericsson's back-to-back double Indy 500 wins and also 
just some of the uh, the highlights again that uh, uh, that we've been writing about and covering uh, from the legendary events. Uh, even Ericsson's unfair and dangerous uh, quote has been uh, dissected online. Lots to read. You can go and uh, read our continued coverage of that. Uh, you can also make sure you follow the Autosport podcast uh, for well, this weekend. Uh, we've got some more Le Mans coverage coming up in the next couple of days. We continue our top 10 lists of greatest moments at Le Mans as we count down to the big event uh, itself. And then this weekend back into uh, Formula One with uh, racing around Barcelona. We'll see if those upgrades the various teams are bringing are any good or not. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Podcast Network. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.